I'm going to read a scripture and then pray. The scripture for this morning is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and their forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Why you should go with the gospel. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and adore you for the care that you show to the whole of your creation every day. You open your hand and feed every living thing. You cause the grass to grow, the seasons to change, the sun, the moon to remain in its orbit according to your created purpose. You raise up one generation and bring it down. You raise up leaders 
bring them down for the good of your people, for the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. We honor you as the sovereign Lord of creation. But we are an unholy people. How can we dare approach your holy presence? We have unclean lips. We have spoken already this day words that are not worthy of you who made our lips. We have spoken in wrath. We have spoken in impatience. We have spoken idle, useless words that do not build up the brothers and sisters in the faith. Our hearts are unclean and therefore our lips manifest <coughs> the sin of our hearts. Cleanse us, we plead you, not only of the outer form, but of the inner perversion of our hearts. But we thank you that the sacrifice of the Son of God is enough. It has cleansed thousands and millions of people in the past. It has saved lost souls that were wandering far from God. And it has the power to save thousands and millions even today. Lord Jesus Christ, be with us as we consider the challenge that is before us in our generation. Let us do good works. Let us, wherever we are, in the marketplace, in the schools, in educational institutions, in farming, in whatever may be our occupation, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, Give us the grace we need to do good works that will glorify our Father in heaven. As we come to worship, let us not do so in outer form, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to hear your word, to allow it to speak clearly to our minds and hearts, to change the direction of our lives, that we may honor you as we should. To the glory of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This place is very nice. Yorkshire. You like Yorkshire? We climbed up on top of that ridge up there and saw where people had been here for thousands of years and built big walls and fortresses. They wanted to protect and defend this place because it was a good place. Do you like this place? Do you like to live this place? Well, I've come to tell you why you ought to leave this place. Where you can't be content to just stay here. You must go with the gospel. Now, why should you leave this place and go with the gospel? First of all, because you... You have seen the holiness of God. The world doesn't have a clue, but you have seen God in his holiness. Where have you seen his holiness? You've seen it in the scripture that we read this morning. You have heard the words of the cherubim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. If our eyes are not blinded, and your eyes are not blinded, you have seen how holy God is. This vision of Isaiah came in the year that King Uzziah died. What kind of king was 
King Uzziah. Was he one of those wicked kings of Israel? You know, when you think about the kings of Israel, you think of the wicked kings. But Uzziah was a good king. One of the characteristics that described of Isaiah of, of Uzziah is he loved the soil. In other words, he was a farmer at heart. Do you, do you like to go out in the springtime with some tomato plants and go out and, and dig in the soil and soften it up a little bit and put that tomato plant in? And do, you, do you talk to it just a little bit, just to give it a little bit of encouragement? Well, that's the kind of person that Uzziah was. He was a good man. He established cisterns in the desert for water for Israel. He established fortifications to protect them. He expanded their borders. He was a good king. And he accomplished much. But, having accomplished much, his heart was lifted up in pride. And he said, I'm going to set a good example for God's people. I'm going to go and sacrifice myself. I'm going to bring a sacrifice into the temple myself. And the priest, it was something like 70 priests, came and said, No, you're not supposed to do this. Only the priests are to offer sacrifice. And he said, I am the king. Get out of my way. He was lifted up in pride. And at that moment, he was struck with leprosy. Not on the back of his hand where he could cover it with his, with his coat or his Cloth, but right in the middle of his forehead where he could not hide it. He rushed out of the temple as the priests were indeed rushing him out, not knowing what would happen next. He went into a separated house and he never came out again. God did not cure Uzziah of his leprosy and he died a leper in a separated house. Can you imagine that leprosy going down, taking away his nose and his lips and his chin so he became a very distorted image of a human being. You have seen the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. And do not violate, do not presume on the holiness of God because he is a holy God. And do you think the world today has any idea whatsoever of what holiness is like? In Africa, a man's building a new hotel. And he wants to be sure it's blessed. So he takes his firstborn son to the witch doctor. And he says, I want you to sacrifice my, witch, my son, which the witch doctor does. And then the father takes the remnants of his firstborn son and buries them in the foundation of the hotel so he can be blessed in his business. And the story is, he could not sleep in his own hotel because the ghost of his son, his firstborn son whom he sacrificed, kept haunting him saying, Father, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And you think that's bad? Well, what do you think is happening with all the sacrificing of unborn children in England? Mm. How many children are sacrificed because parents want a little better living? Or selective abortions? Mm -hmm. We wanted a boy, and this is a girl, so let's get rid of this one and wait till we have a boy. Do you think that's any less 
heinous in the sight of God? Holy, holy, holy. And the world doesn't have any idea. I'm beginning to wonder when the West is going to come to its senses. When you read about what's happening in this world today, you know that they have no idea of God the Creator, God who is a holy God. When corruption goes up to the highest levels, to the bankers, to the legislators of our society, <laughs> when is the world going to awaken? The world doesn't have a clue, but you know. And don't you understand that if this good king, whose only sin, of course he had many other sins, but whose predominant sin was simply pride, which we all do at certain points, was consumed with leprosy, do you think the world does not need to be warned? Ezekiel the prophet received the word, if I come to you and tell you to warn the wicked of his way, and you do not warn them, then what's going to happen? Their blood I will require at your hands. You were supposed to be my witness in the classroom. You were supposed to be my witness in the neighborhood. You were supposed to be my witness to the Muslims. You're supposed to love the Muslims into the kingdom of God. And you fear them. You back away from them. You're supposed to be going to them with the holiness of God and to warn them of their ways. And you fail, and I will require their blood at your hand. The fullest manifestation of the holiness of God finds its revelation in the death of another king that is recorded later on in the book of Isaiah. Another king. And you can, as you read about this other king who died, you can see why some thought this king also was a leper. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form so marred beyond human likeness like the elephant man, have you seen the movie The Elephant Man? The distortion, that's the way this person appeared. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Do you know who he's talking about? Who is Isaiah talking about? He's despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We esteemed him stricken of God and smitten. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that you deserve for your sin was on him. And by his stripes you are healed. If you want to know the holiness of God, look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and see how he was wounded for our sins. Nothing could save sinners because of their pollution other than the death of the Holy Son of God coming to this world, incarnate in human flesh, sent by the Father, willingly giving his life for us as sinners. There you can see the holiness of God. You think of Sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great. Here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word 
the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. You have seen God's holiness, have you not? If you are a Christian, if you understand the gospel, you have seen the holiness of God. And the world has not seen. And therefore, you, as a student, as a worker, as a homemaker, you must go with the gospel. Now, secondly, you should go with the gospel because you have experienced the forgiveness of God. If you have experienced it, I trust and pray that all of you have experienced God's forgiveness. Have you? Have you experienced the transforming impact of the forgiveness of God of all your sins? Obviously, if you have, then then you should go with the gospel. The most striking thing about Isaiah's experiences is described in, in this passage of Scripture is the radical transformation of the prophet himself. When you first see Isaiah in this vision, what does he look like? He looks like that little old man who has a cloud over his head all the time. And everywhere he goes, he says, Woe is me. Woe is me. That's what Isaiah said. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And if uncleanness comes from your lips, what does that tell you about your heart? If you're always talking babble and never talking to the glory of God, if your speech never edifies other Christians... There's something wrong. There's a heart that is not totally committed to God or your lips would speak in purity and holiness and positiveness that would build up others in the faith. Woe is me. But next time you see Isaiah, what does he look like? He's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. There are the cherubim hovering over the altar and God says, whom shall I send? And you might say, very obviously, Lord, send the cherubim, send the angels. They're they're purified, they're like fire, ready to go instantly, anywhere, do whatever you tell them to do. Isaiah says, no, don't, don't send them, send me. Is that the way you respond to seeing the holiness of God? If you have experienced the forgiveness of God, That's what you will say. Here am I. What does that mean? That means, God, whatever you have made of me is at your disposal. Everything that I am, everything that I have, every talent, every mental capacity, every ability to speak, everything that I can do with my hands or with my feet, Everywhere I can go is yours. Here am I. Without any reservation whatsoever. Now, Christian, that's the way you should stand before God all the time. There should never be a moment in your life in which you do not say, Here am I. You know, at one time Israel was being attacked by a foreign enemy and they were not prepared. And this enemy had already crossed the Jordan and was ready to attack them. And the king offered this prayer. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. 
And many times you will be perplexed in this life. Lord, I don't really know exactly what to do. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are upon you. That is, you show me, Lord, and I am committed to go wherever you want me to go, to do whatever you want me to do, because you have bought me with a price, the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and I am not my own. I am not my own to live for my own pleasures. I am here for one purpose, and that is to reflect your glory, because I have experienced the forgiveness of God. Have you experienced the forgiveness of God? We call it in theology justification by faith alone. Have you heard that phrase? Justification by faith alone. What is that? Well, it's recognizing that if you stop looking at your own righteousness and your own efforts to please God and look at Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and how he lived a perfect life for you, and you entrust yourself to him, repenting of your sins, saying, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinful creature that cannot stand in your holiness, but I look to Jesus alone. You will be forgiven of all your sins, past, present, get it now, and future. Now, is that Roman Catholic? Is that buying your, your forgiveness before you commit your sin? By no means. But it is recognizing the completeness of the satisfaction of the death of Jesus Christ for your sins. Yes, you can be forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. You say, but that would lead somebody into sin. He'd say, wow, I can sin all I want to because I'm forgiven. Mm-mm, Paul Apostle says no. This is what is called theological brinkmanship. You know this term, brinkmanship? Sometimes you use it with politicians where brinkmanship, during the Cold War, there was brinkmanship between Reagan and Gorbachev or whoever, Khrushchev, whoever it was that was leading the Russians. They'd get right to the brink of war. And you... I have to use illustrations of American history when John F. Kennedy said to the Russians, you get those missiles out of Cuba or it's war. And they got the, the missiles out of Cuba. And, but that's brinkmanship. Well, theological brinkmanship is when you tell some, when you dare to tell someone you're forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. You might say that's going to lead them into sin. But Paul the Apostle was the brinkman of the brinkman. And he says, no, no. Because you're not going to look to Jesus unless you have died to yourself. And once you have died to yourself and your own self-righteousness, you have been born again of the Spirit of God and you cannot just waddle into sin. You can't do that. Because your nature has changed. And that's the wonder of the freedom of Christians. It's the song of the soul set free. 
You like that phrase? I like that phrase. The song of the soul set free. I'm free. How am I free? I am free to make mistakes. You know, you might say, oh, I could never teach a Sunday school class. I could never share the gospel with anyone else. I would make a big mistake. I, I know he's smarter than I am, and if I tried to say anything about Jesus, he would ridicule me, and he would cut me into all kinds of pieces. I, I can't do that. I'm not perfect enough myself to tell anybody else the gospel. You ever think that way? Forget it. Martin Luther says, sin boldly. Now, what in the world did he mean? Sin boldly. He says, serve God. You're going to make mistakes, but forget about it. Because your sins have been forgiven. And you're free. You're free to make mistakes. You're free to live imperfectly. Not because you want to. But you can serve Christ meaningfully because your sins have been forgiven. Have your sins been forgiven? Really? Are you aware of the fact that you're free of all condemnation? Paul the Apostle says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you want something to free you, that's the word. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you have experienced the forgiveness of sin, go with the gospel. I can't do it. Yes, you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, yes, you can. And God is not going to ask you to do something that he does not provide for you the gifts to do. Is that right, Pastor? Mm -hmm. God is not going to ask you to do something that he does not give you the strength to do. Is that right? Can my amen corner say amen? <laughs> amen. Thank you very much. Can you Presbyterians join and say amen? Amen. Amen. I think this is a live congregation. That's more response than I get from a big congregations. That's wonderful. Because you've seen the holiness of God. Because you understand and experience the forgiveness of God, the experience the forgiveness, and thirdly, because you, of all people, understand the sovereignty of God in salvation. I do? Yeah, you do. You're Presbyterians, aren't you? Dating back to 1629, you've been, you're inheriting 
700 B.C. And the gospel has been available to these people for since 2000 B.C. And my mathematical wife will check me on this later, but I think that's about 1,300 years. They've had the gospel preached to them for 1,300 years. 1,300 years? Well, you've had it 400, but they've had it 1,300 years, and their hearts are hard, and they will not receive the gospel. And so God said, okay, then you harden your hearts, I will harden your hearts. That's a fearful thing, is it not? You harden your heart against God, and God will harden your heart against him. That's what happened to Pharaoh, you remember? Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses. And so God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And that's what's happening here. They've received the gospel. They've hardened their hearts. And so God says, I will harden your heart. Isaiah lived in the day in which the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north, tribe of Ephraim, tribe of Manasseh, tribe of Naphtali, Zebulun, all of those had been carried away into exile, had been swallowed up in the vast world the vast world of the non-Israelite people. They were swallowed up and lost, the ten lost tribes. Never to be found again. No, the, the English are not the ten lost tribes of Israel. Some people claim is the, Jew, the, the English as the lost tribes of Israel. No, you are not the ten lost tribes of Israel. They are lost. They've been forever lost, swallowed up in the Gentile world. But this is God's sovereign purposes. But notice how the chapter ends. This is the NIV. It reads just a little bit different, and I think it's a little bit more effective at this point. Though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste, judged because they've hardened their hearts. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, you cut down a tree, there's still a stump there. You know, we have some trees in Africa. It's called a eucalyptus. You know eucalyptus? They're imports from Australia. We cut down eucalyptus, and it comes right back again from the, from the stump. As the terebinth and oak leaves stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What is he saying? He's saying that by the sovereignty of God, despite the hardness of the heart of Israel, the resistance of Israel to the gospel for 1,300 years, despite the judgment that has come upon them and will come upon them, there will The word is remnant, but remnant doesn't mean a small number. The remnant is not necessarily a small number. It means the remain, those who remain. And those who remain number in the millions from every tribe and kindred and nation and people. 
And whereas the gospel goes, there will be the holy stuff in the land. There will be the same wherever the gospel goes. Look at you, right? There was no one here. You came and you preached the gospel and look, this is probably three times as many as Jesus started with. He only had 11. Mm. Look at this. You've got at least 22, 33 here, 44 maybe. Four times what Jesus started with. This is the stuff. This is the remnant in the land. And wherever the gospel goes. That's why Presbyterians have headed, yes, I know, the Baptists think they're the ones that have headed missions, but I want to tell you, you study world missions and you will find that it's the Presbyterians that have advanced the gospel more than anyone else. Why? Same reason of Paul. The Lord appeared to Paul when he was in Corinth and he was discouraged because of all the opposition and the Lord says, don't worry, Paul. You keep preaching the gospel for I have many people in this city. Despite the corruption of Corinth, despite the immorality, the idolatry that is there, I have many people in this city. What about the city there with 250,000? You think God doesn't have anybody in that city? Hmm? What about the city over here with 500,000? You think God doesn't have any people in that city? That's why you should go with the gospel as Presbyterians, because you go with a confidence that there will be the stump in the land. There will be the saved in the land. You see the sovereignty of God in salvation? Hmm? The sovereignty of God. And when God lays hold on them, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And there's one other way in which the sovereignty of God is shown in this passage. The vision came to Isaiah, to a man named Isaiah, a sinner like all the other sinners. And this vision of a holy God, holy, 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 came only to Isaiah. Now today, the vision has come to you. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's a pretty weak amen. <laughs> the vision has come to you today. Amen. amen. Right. And what does that mean? That means God has sovereignly given you the vision to go with the gospel into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Not just convert them, make them disciples. That's what we're trying to do at ABC, to raise up disciples, not just believers, but disciples, having taught them everything that Jesus has taught. Go and make disciples. Is God calling you? Is God commissioning you? Does God want you? to reach out in a way that you've never done before. Go with the gospel. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, you have commissioned someone along the way to bring the gospel to us. Mm-hmm. May have been someone of our family, may have been a stranger that we had never met before, maybe a friend, a roommate in college, who knows, but you sent someone. Now you're sending us, Lord, show us the way. We do not know exactly what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So we pray for the help of Jesus, the living, reigning, sovereign Savior. Amen.